need some jingle jangle this morning. Give me some good old fashioned REM jingle jangle. Oh, that, that's the uh, Roy REM. Um, what tuning is that? That's just an open. It's just an open tuning. Blues type. All right, play the same fingerings as R.E.M. Oh, yeah, that sounds terrible. No, stop, stop, stop. No, Michael, come on, stop. No, it sounds bad. No, come on. Oh, Michael, come on. Stop, 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 stop. Stop that. Play something. Take, take that tuning off. What's that thing called? A capo? Capo. A caper. That transposes you the same interval between the strings. Yeah. Okay. Michael's not on his mic, so I have to repeat what he's saying. Michael, please play something pleasant. Yeah, that's Bucky. Pretend that they, oh, you're going to love this. Michael, pretend that you're chat GPT. Play something in an open blues tuning in right. the style of Peter Buck. Can you please play something that doesn't sound like a nightmare? I never want you to play seventh chords. First of all, I no. your hand looks all skeletal and weird when you do that. Um, well, the people want to like you, Michael. No, they don't. So don't do open tuning. Just play it regular and give me a break. Oh my God. See what I have to live with, people. No. <laughs> All right, that's that's kind of cool. It's cool, but it's not pretty. Play. Play an Ari. No, wait. Here we go. AI Meeks. This is going to be a new series of AI Meeks. He's going to love this so much. Oh my God, Michael. Play Michael, AI Meeks. Meeks is my nickname for Michael, by the way. AI Meeks. Chat GP Meeks. Play something in open tuning in the style of Peter Buck as if Robert Fripp was playing it. No, no, come on. No, you can't do open For Fripp, you gotta use your fifth. For Fripp, you have to use your fifths, your fifths, he's saying. Your fifths. Thank God. Yeah, he just said he can't play Fripp even if he's tuned properly, and I said, thank God. Oh, I could just listen to that for hours. Can you please play something nice? If you're not going to play something nice, then let's just start talking. 
what's a good pop song that I know that's in open tuning? Michael. I've lost him. I'm trying, no, 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 I'm trying to, uh, I mean, there's a absolutely beautiful uh, single line frit melody that even you would like. There's uh, a beautiful open line frit melody that even I would like, he says. Let's see. So far, no. Starless. Michael, please play something pretty to start my day off nice. It's a beautiful song. You're being mean. No, I'm not being mean. No, honestly. Uh, John Wetton. Absolutely beautiful. John Wetton? Wetton? John Wetton. Crimson Asia. From Crimson, as in King Crimson and who else? Asia. Oh, uh, God. No, so you're going to put the Qatar away rather than playing something nice. Well, I, I, I didn't think you liked what I was doing. I don't. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't like what you were doing. Um, all right. If you want. Honestly, in this tuning. Um, don't. Well, change the tuning. Oh, there you go. That was better. Well, that's what I'm saying. But everything's going to sound like that. There we go. Give me some Black Rebel Motorcycle Club or some. Yeah. That's nicer. Thank you. No. Oh. Oh. That that was better. Yay. Okay. Uh-oh. The king of noodling. The king of futzing around. Meeks Massa. <sighs> What song's a nice song uh, that you can't play? Sounds like you can play it to me. I don't know the what's the song you're playing. What's the song you're playing? Bronnerar Stomp. What? I don't know that song. Oh, I like those harmonics. Pling pling. Sounds like every other song that sounds like the that. Dog I ever knew, so fine. Aww. Ain't no companion like a blue-eyed Merle. A blue-eyed Merle? We don't have a blue-eyed Merle. No what about a brown-eyed Marvin? Ain't no companion like an amber-eyed Pedenko. Aww, it's a song about Marvy, our yeah. our dog Marvin, who's half Pedenko, half Pointer. When you're old and your eyes are dim, ain't no old stuff's gonna happen again. Aww, that's sad. Walking down country lanes. Country lanes. See the same old song here call me how do you know the lyrics to no songs except for songs like that 
That's nice. Uh, because it's uh, it's a it's a nice song and it's nice to have <laughs> a companion song about a dog. How about reach out and touch face? Play that in your open right. tuning. Yeah, oh, in my open tuning. Um, yeah, what tuning? Let's see what that is. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that. Oh well, it definitely has the chromaticism though. It has the chromaticism though. He says. He's working it out. He's working it out. He's thinking it through. I think it's actually enough sharp. It's actually enough sharp. He's asking himself. Oh, he's piecing it out. No, but it has the harmonics. It's it has the harmonics in it. He said, "Yep." He's working out the harmonics. No, but I'm not gonna be able to do my F sharp for sure. He's not gonna be able to do his F sharp for sure. He just said. I mean, this would be the fingering for personal Jesus. What's? <laughs> he just said this would be the fingering for personal Jesus. Oh, God, that sounds terrible. <laughs> well, now I have it in my head, so can you please just play it normal? Um, in a minute, hold up. Uh-oh, in a minute he says, hold up. Oh, he's retuning his guitar. Wait for it. Wait for it. interlude everyone remember earlier in the podcast when I asked myself why I needed to go for the guy in the band and not the guy in the audience it's in moments like these that I continue to ask myself this every day when you live with a musician you spend a lot of time watching your partner who is lost in his instrument who must in his completest mind, get his guitar tuned so he can play 16 bars of a popular song by an 80s goth band. Well, now I'm not in with the world at he, 440, but I'm he's not in with the world at 440. He just said, and now he's gone back to playing REM songs. Oh, see, thanks, Meeks. Oh, that feels nice. Something like that. That's a good, that's like um, with the, wait, what's the, uh, the moisturizer on the dried skin of my soul. And this can go on for hours. Well, no, no, no. It's not no, but what about my personal Jesus? Oh, right. <laughs> All right, but I need some chords. I don't want you to arpeggiate it or whatever you're doing. I want brown, brown, brown. Yeah, but I want chords. I know, but do it anyway. Chord it up. Okay, everyone, this is almost over. Yes. Thank you. Play, okay. AI, chat, GP Meeks. Play, 
play. Oh, this could go on. This is dangerous. This could go on all day. We're going to get nothing done. Chat GP Meeks. Play. Play. Um, personal Jesus in the style of Django. Yeah, well, play a little bit more in the rhythm part. He said Django would turn it into an F sharp 7. Okay, let's maybe put the guitar away. We're not putting the guitar away. Oh boy, I gotta reel this in, folks. He's very happy right now. <laughs> okay, chat GP Meeks. Let's, um, thank you. Where are my car keys? No. Okay, yep, and we're done. Nope, not done. Yes. Okay, do your guitar face. Thank you. And, oh, and yes. All right, Bruce Springsteen, let's wrap it up. Oh. Okay, it's tiresome. Hmm. Michael? Yes? Put the guitar down. Put that guitar down. Guitars are for closers. Check out Guitar Meeks. He knows all the chords. Guitar Meeks knows all the guitar chords. He just said Guitar Meeks knows all the chords. Now he's very happy, boy. You know all the chords. You know all the chords that aren't even chords. All right. Not even Knopfler. This morning, Michael said, I don't hate Autumn as much as I used to. Michael has a very, very hard time staying warm. He's such a girl like that. He has very cold fingers and feet. He's offended everyone now. I run hot, so I'm always hot. I always have, I could walk in the snow barefoot, be totally comfortable. Um, but then what did Michael say? Why he likes autumn more than he used to? Um, well, I do think... Uh, there has to be something of the, you know, impending doom of school starting again, right? Mm. That's, I mean, that's certainly Let's get into that sense memory. When uh, summer vacation ends, yeah. Um, but no, I think it might be uh, just we kind of, uh, you know, the, the metaphor of the earth kind of uh, dying and all <laughs> everything falling off the trees and... Um, as we enter autumn and winter and uh, and our own uh, demise. It's not, it's not I, I have to think that older people tend to like autumn or at least uh, appreciate autumn. And Why winter. do so many old people move to Florida then? Well, you, know, you want to feel warm. Well, that, that could be uh, along the same lines. That could be some sort of desperate attempt to, you know, how do I still remain young and vigorous? I surround myself with the uh, you know, hope and optimism of spring and summer. And, 
but it ain't gonna happen at age eighty. I don't want to remain. I don't want to be young and vigorous. I, I want to be old and reasonably no, I think there's active. Very honest. It's like, yep, this is how things hang now, and uh, it's, it's it's pretty sad, but but it is what it is. Um, this is a very special time of year for me, especially the, this week. The week, the I guess this is the God. This is the last week of September, Michael. The years are just flying by. Um, because my very first trip to Amsterdam was around this time with my friend Michelle. <laughs> and so, you know, it's always pretty pleasant, pretty dry, cool, a little bit sunny, discovering this city that would change my life. It's always a nice time uh, of year. Yep. Also, going back to that sense memory of school where we grew up in the Midwest, we had real seasons, so we had very long, hot summers. And you have three months off of school. So by the end of August, you're getting a little bored. For me, the positive, you, oh, you're, you didn't get bored? <laughs> well, I'm not easily bored. Yeah, I was getting a little bored. So the parts I looked forward to were the new school clothes, the fresh new clothes, the school supplies. Pencil box. The pencil box, the trapper keeper, just the promise, the blank pages, the promise of and organized and uh and uh get to use your SWAT lunchbox yeah yeah or your charlie brown lunchbox you i did actually have the charlie brown lunchbox i still have my charlie brown lunchbox i bought it off of ebay years ago because i was so attached to that lunchbox and every time i look at that lunchbox i think they have it in storage i need to bring it out here Uh, presumably not that one though right i mean no but but it's the exact same same one like the vinyl cover with sort of the seafoam green background with the thermos my peanuts i had my SWAT lunchbox Oh, we should get it. I'm sure we can find it online. Uh, I looked years ago. It was pretty tough. We'll keep yeah, looking. Um, and uh, that lasted about a week. And then the burning anxiety of having to walk through the doors of the school every morning takes over for the rest of the school year. Uh, and um, do you have any strong memories of just... What was in your lunchbox, you know, our sort of tepid sandwiches and our maybe Campbell's chicken noodle soup and our thermoses right, right. and yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we. Uh, I don't remember um, ever buying lunch at school. Is that Chariot so, or Sharjah? That's Chariot. Uh-huh. Um, I can hear her purring all the way yeah, over here. I, I was a very picky eater, so I did always bring my lunch at least. I have to think through probably third grade. So, you know, that's that's three solid years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh um and uh yeah, there were there were two sandwiches uh that I liked when I was very young, neither of which particularly food. But um so I was a bologna man. Mm-hmm. So leave that as it be. Um and uh so it was either a bologna and cheese whiz, which mm. was my original uh <laughs> love. Um, and a uh, bologna and hot mustard. Uh, hot that. mustard. I, I actually liked the the you know that would have been the Coops brand. Uh, yeah, hot mustard, which mm-hmm. is really just it has some mustard seeds in it, right? But it's still essentially <laughs> vinegar. Uh, but it seems to sort of have some raw mustard seeds in it or something. But um, yes, I did like that. I liked the uh, bologna and hot mustard. Talking to the mic, please. I actually kind of talking to the mic, please. I actually kind of liked it on toast, even though by the time the lunch hour came around, uh, obviously the toast wasn't 
uh, crisp and uh, warm anymore, uh, but it still had a, a toast texture. Um, anyway, so th that, that's going to be the, the main entree, if you will, of the um, lunchbox lunch. And uh, we typically did have the um, like Frito-Lays type uh, side dish. So, you know, you would have had your um, either just uh, regular Frito-Lays uh, potato chips or any of their uh, line of products, uh, you know, your uh, Doritos, Cheetos. So your lunch would be processed meat, processed yeah, yeah. cheese product, yep. Yep. and some sort of <laughs> chariots rubbing up against the mic yeah. right now. Our sweet little beautiful Norwegian forest cat girl who has her vitamin 12 yep. deficiencies and needs to go to the vet to get her B12 shot so that she can yep. digest her food properly. And uh, also in, in the thermos uh, would be um, a soft drink. Mm. So, so wow. That, I know. So I know some folks have like the, the Campbell's soup or, or whatever uh, in the thermos. Uh, we would not have that. We would not have the, the cold drink in there, which honestly would it would certainly not have been a, a Diet Coke. It would have been a, a, a sugared uh, beverage. Um, and for dessert, probably something from the hostess line. Yeah, um, I was always envious of people that got something from the hostess line in their lunchbox. I never was allowed to eat that stuff. Yeah, no, the hostess was... Uh, so um, I know it's essentially just a form factor difference. Uh, but uh, would you be more on the uh, ho-ho or ding-dong side? Very, of very important. <laughs> yes, for the form factor. So I was often offered a ho-ho, but man, did I envy those ding-dongs because they were wrapped in uh, individually wrapped tin foil, and I just thought that was so. That was like the height of snacking sophistication. Right. Well, when you buy the well, the twelve box, uh, twelve pack of, of ho-hos is also. It's just the the. You know, and it, that's going to be individually foil wrapped as well. It's just whether you prefer more of a, a, a hot dog form factor or a hamburger form factor. Yes, I side eyed my classmates with envy who got the individual packs of Fritos or chips and the ho hos because yep. I never got to eat that stuff. Um, and um, if it, uh, if you found yourself with a choice between, um, say, a Dolly Madison uh, fruit pie which had the, the peanuts licensing, mm -hmm. right? Um, or the hostess fruit pie, which had, you know, just like the weird hostess mascots. Uh, w w what would you have chosen? Yeah, I think the, which one's not peanuts? Uh, peanuts, w w not peanuts would be hostess. Right, hostess, so all yeah. part of the Twinkies. My favorite were the Twinkies that were raspberry and covered in coconut. Is that a zinger? I would say that that's a zinger, so oh, that I is a Dolly Madison product. Is so it? I, I'm pretty sure. Interesting. I think snowballs are the host. Yeah, those were gross. I mean, those are marshmallow. They're, they're, those are coconutty, aren't they? Yeah, but they're marshmallow. Who, like who wants marshmallows? Yeah. Yeah. You you do like your toast. You really need to have things warm. You do not like, like cold food. I do appreciate toast. So while I might have had a slightly more nutritious lunch than you did, my breakfast was usually my breakfast and breakfast routine was as follows. Yeah. Get up, have a bowl of what I called Tony the Tiger. So frosted sure. flakes of corn, yeah. Lie down for 20 minutes to recover from the nausea and then get up <laughs> and start ride. your day. Totally <laughs> every morning, totally normal like, "Oh." And I always thought, you know, never questioned it. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. And don't you remember what was part of a well-balanced breakfast was the cereal, juice and some toast. Yeah, milk, juice, toast and 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 then they and had fortified the cereal. Well, and Captain Crunch particularly had the comparators on the side of the box. So it's like, 
you know, holy shit, a bowl of spaghetti has more sugar than Captain Crunch, which was the argument that they were pushing. And what had more bowl sugar than a bowl of Captain Crunch? Uh, I think it was like a bowl of spaghetti. It was oh. what they were showing them. Now, and therefore, we you, never question how bad a bowl of spaghetti was. We were well, like, oh, Captain Crunch, health food. This is the thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Chef Boyardee, that's, that's got, you know, tomatoes and whatnot. So it must be real food. That's like a vegetable, isn't it? Yeah, sort of. Right. So did you prefer beefaroni, which was the macaroni, or did you prefer the ravioli? Yeah. Because in the 70s and 80s, we ate pasta out of a can, and we loved it. It was Absolutely. good. It was delicious. <laughs> um, how else are you going to get your daily intake of MSG? Um, yeah, uh, I, again, a picky eater. I, I didn't really go in for the uh, Chef Boyardee stuff. Mm. Did, didn't real? I know it, it's sad. Didn't really like that stuff. I mean, I probably would have liked it if they tried it, but was never made to try it. We ate so much food devoid of nutrients, and yet our generation did not have a childhood obesity problem. So I guess it was all about quantity. Probably, yeah, it's a, uh, probably a slightly higher level of fitness uh, as well. But I, I know that uh, intake is probably more important than fitness. So, yeah, we probably just weren't taking in as much uh, bad food. But we did have the, you know, go play outside stuff as opposed to, you know, go play Candy Crush on your phone. Not that any kid ever plays Candy Crush. But um, I think kids mostly sit on their ass now. We were not but allowed in the house all summer. Yeah, exactly. Go outside go and, play. Outside and play. Yeah, you can come in for lunch, and then you got to get your ass back outside unless right. there's a tornado. Then you can come back in. Yeah, tornado. I mean, that was before pedophilia had been invented, so there's really no danger in going to force your kids. To Michael, outside. you know, so when Michael, everyone, when Michael says stuff like this, there's this whole layer of cynicism. <laughs> Let me finish talking about you. <laughs> There's this layer of cynicism, political disenfranchisement, uh, outrage over the mainstream media, and I say that from a leftist point of a, a left-leaning point of view. So you can't take anything that he says like that seriously. Now he says he will say, "No, I absolutely want you to take me seriously," but none of us who are close to him do. So, dear listeners, I don't take anything I say seriously. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Michael is cantankerous. He also has a lawyer's mind because he went to law school because he was born with that intellect. So law school was fairly easy for him. He will take any point of view and argue it clinically and academically. So I think argumentation is a, a useful. Let's it, it just be human concept. Take so a I moment think, yeah. to feel sorry for me, for Beth Massa. Now, now, I'm saying this, everyone, because everyone, let, let me, let me, let me gather my thought here. Michael is very, very good at passively and with no effort put in on his behalf of getting people to feel sorry for him because he's married to me. Now, I am a bit more gregarious than Michael. We're both actually intensely introverted, but... It you know Michael does better in very small groups. You need to draw him out a little bit. Where, you know, with me, it you know the, the it's the opposite. You have to sort of shove Beth back in her um, jack in the box. 
which is hard to do. But no one ever feels sorry for me, except for me, having to live with him. Now, I'm going to tell you why it's hard to live with Michael and why you all should feel sorry for me. First of all, he's good at everything. And so I have, he's good at everything except for dancing. His dancing is is adorable, but I, I do think I'm a better dancer than you. And I do think that my Dutch, Dutch as bad as it is, my speaking Dutch is better than yours. But you grammatically actually know more about the Dutch language than I do because you're you have an academic mind. You're a book learner. And other than that, not only is Michael better than I am at everything, he's good at everything. So if you want Michael to install an imported Italian shower um, wall with millions of little pieces he just you know like I said Michael's favorite literature's owner's manuals he will put all the pieces out and if it takes him two weeks to figure it out he'll do it Michael's an excellent cook Michael's an excellent musician Michael went to law school Michael has a degree in 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 in, in electrical engineering Michael has a you know very well studied in music theory Michael 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 doesn't he he's so good at everything it is annoying to spend your whole life feeling inadequate in the presence of somebody like Michael. And I'm he's actually, also very handsome no, and he's fit and he no, has natural I'm athletic not. ability. See, <laughs> but, but this and, and you've got it's awful. This, no, no. And he's always right most of the time. He's not he's <laughs> not right. The following things people. Michael is not right about. He's not right about the value of marketing and storytelling. Um and that I guess that's okay. about uh, it. No, I, I the, I am right about that. There's, there's as much value in that sort of thing as we want there to be. Um, for me personally, very little. But for others, I, I recognize that a lot of people think marketing is extremely important. Um, for them, they're they're right. Uh, I'm really not good at at many things. I'm not good at most things I attempt. I I would suspect that that's the case for many many people. What are you not good at? Uh, it just almost everything such um, as I, I am willing to to try and do things like a, a little handiwork around the house you know whatever um following directions to uh install something i'm certainly willing to to try to do that stuff i enjoy doing those kinds of things that that i, I haven't done uh before um but i'm always doing it within the context uh, i mean i understand it's like oh man i don't really you know I wish I'd taken like, you know, a uh, metal shop or wood shop or, or that kind of thing. Or if there were just, you know, general um, uh, courses in like high school about like, you know, how do you fix shit around the house? You know, but I, you I you do fix stuff around the house. Do, yeah, no, I, I, I try and do that. And I'll sort of um, my mind is closer. Hello, my mind is closer. Learning how to do some of that kind of your stuff. honeydews. Um, and but you know I, I think a lot of people do that uh, sort of stuff I suppose there are some people who if it's something that they're not especially comfortable with they have no interest in trying and and I can understand that too I, I ultimately want the whatever the uh, shower glass I want it to be installed correctly so if I think that there's somebody else who has a much better chance of installing it correctly then yeah, I would say get them to do it. But if it's something that I can probably do, you know, eighty plus percent correctly myself, then yeah, I would 
rather do that. Um, in part because I like sort of knowing how th those things work and, you know, having some, I mean, it just happened. Uh, so after that festival, uh, one of the garden wagons, <laughs> uh, that we took back was not in fact ours. Everybody was stealing everybody's garden wagon. I know, but it's a little bit irritating because now it's in possession and I look at this thing and I'm like, who the hell would ever install you know a a, a a cotter pin that way i i certainly wouldn't so i look at that thing and now it's embarrassing because i don't want other people to think that that's what i did with the cotter pin so i have to take them out and um install them be as far as i understand uh correctly but i took one look at it it's like well, who the hell did that they didn't it was probably me <laughs> no it, it wasn't it was some, somebody else <laughs> at the festival it definitely belongs to someone else and so they had the manual in front of them, probably. Now, the manual doesn't actually show how to use the cotter pen, but, you know, it would have taken them uh, just a few seconds if they hadn't been handed down that, that knowledge. And I think it's unfortunate that, you know, oftentimes people don't have a, um, a, a parental figure or, you know, whatever, some uh, uncle or aunt or something um, to show them how to do that kind of stuff. But, you know, these are, I think they're kind of valuable skills. They're not valuable per se, but I think it, it's valuable to not feel like, it, it, it is valuable to feel like you understand the world in which you live a little bit. So there are cotter pins all around us. And you mean I metaphorically we speaking? How, well, y y but also literally. <laughs> and <laughs> we should know <laughs> why they do what they do and how they do what they do little bit i think because what else are you gonna do you're my little cotterpin sweetie <sighs> another thing i think that's interesting is that uh when we have a meltdown we melt down over completely different things we never had a meltdown at the same time where we're both melting down um and so so michael tends to melt down over things where i can stay calm vice versa another thing that maybe people may or may not almost certainly not find interesting is on the rare occasion and this happens maybe once every three years when michael mass has had a little bit too much to drink Eesh. nobody can tell except for those of us who know him closely because he's completely lucid except his personality changes entirely no, and it's very dangerous it's very dangerous if we are in a foreign country no because I'm more fluent. michael massa thinks that he's become fluent in the language when all he's doing is adopting a very offensive accent of the region so no, it's not offensive it's, it, helping it's adorable one time we were in mexico when we were being fed cheap margaritas and michael had finished his and all of a sudden michael became speedy gonzalez and i had to drag no. his ass home um well i was getting along very he's well like, no, i'm speaking staff. spanish no no, no they, definitely they yeah they loved yeah. you yeah, it wasn't just bad i'm very good in italian when i'm drunk also. one of my yeah good. in italy i had to pull you out of the restaurant no, in florence because it, you know it just it gets really quiet and then you're like uh-oh 
and it, it happens so rarely and it's just you not paying attention you're just enjoying yourself you're enjoying well, that beautiful bottle of wine it. that becomes bottles of wine or the margaritas and then the 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 flip the switch flips over and then michael massa needs to go home i do like a margarita uh, you make very good fresh margaritas you got to go without the the slushy though, right? That yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah no, you got to have the. I don't know what that slushy is. Yeah, it's exactly. Kids. Just liquid plus ice, right? A big mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. What is that? It's not shaved ice, is it? What, I don't know. So sometimes I I would you know I'm not on the social media so much anymore, but in its heyday, I had a series of posting on Facebooks. Um, sort of he said, she said things that happened with Michael Massa, Klusermann, Renaissance man, can do it all man. It's handyman. Right? Handyman, yeah. Mein man is Kluser. Yeah. I mean, and definitely <laughs> not Renaissance. I would consider it much more, if anything, it's a jack of all trades. You're a generalist. Master of none. There you yeah. go. You're a master of all of them. No. You know, I okay, you could be. Anyway, this is getting quite dull and tedious. But um, when I would post things that Michael had done or said on Facebook, they were always my most popular posts in terms of likes because all the men would come to his defense. My most popular post in the history of Facebook. um, Dozens of views. mm -hmm. I got the most likes of any post I've ever posted. Yeah. Do you know where I'm going with this? Yeah, I think I know where it is. I had gone away for a business trip. And when I came home, I found this little scrap of paper. And Michael Massa had written himself a grocery list. And on his grocery list were two things. <laughs> this is probably 15 years ago, and Both it makes me important. laugh every single time. Number one on his grocery list was paper towels. And number two on his grocery and number two on his grocery list was food. Because we were out of food. And so Michael needed to write this down so that he wouldn't forget the things on his grocery list. And those were the things on his grocery list. Yeah, I mean, granted, broad categories, but uh, useful. So cute. Another really popular thing that I may do on my social media is record our conversations within the context of the differences between the two of us. Here's one I posted on LinkedIn not so long ago. And it says, I don't know if this is going to work right. This is going to sound nice on a podcast. Let's give it a try. See if this sounds boring and self-congratulatory or if it works. What's that guy's name? John Gray? I am the, this is me speaking on behalf of myself. I am the right brain CEO, CMO, and my partner, Michael Massa, is the left brain, COO, CFO, CTO. Welcome to the many hats life of a startup. Our conversations go like this. Me. It's a concept store. Michael. The only concept I see is we sell stuff and take money out of your wallet. Me. It's all about storytelling, emotional connection. Michael. The only story we need to tell is we sell you services and you pay us for those services. Me, you have to empathize with the customer journey. Michael, how can I empathize with people who barely know how to turn on their computer? 
me. I worked really hard and did four hours of solid container washing all by myself. Michael, you left and forgot to lock the front door again, and you forgot to turn the lights off again. Me. I'll just stack these containers in the drying cabinet willy-nilly. Michael, I noticed that the containers were stacked willy-nilly. I'm having a panic attack. Me. I want to spend budget on a glorious marketing campaign. Michael, I don't want to spend money communicating with people who don't know what operating system is. Me. Is Edge computing the new Microsoft browser? Michael, I need to unhear that. Please put this knitting needle in my ear. Now, I, at least half of those didn't really happen. They're at best, paraphrases. It's a composite I, I think of reality. Precision language uh, and precision word choice can be important in these sorts of things. Also, I think Where was I imprecise in my word choice? You were biasing it a bit in the presentation. Uh, you sounded very reasonable. <laughs> I sounded very gruff and dismissive. But I didn't sound I didn't sound reasonable in the second uh -huh. half, which was <clears throat> turning the tides toward your world, uh -huh. where you know I'm the doofus. No, there's, there's no uh, there's no right or wrong. Um, there's no right or wrong in Michael Mass's world. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it depends. Well, hmm. I, I am a moral relativist, so I would, you know, I, I think I'm much uh, more um, inclusive in accepting uh, other people. Yes, you're behavior. too inclusive. I don't. If we go down the path of your moral relativism, no one will like you. So no, we're I'm not going to go I, there. I don't necessarily understand uh, I, other people, um, but. Uh, I'm certainly appreciative that there are other ways of thinking and behaving. Hmm. Let's go back to Just autumn and fall oh, okay. yeah, go ahead. of our lives yep. and of the actual seasons. Jules Holland. Um, member of the wonderful 80s band Squeeze. Mm -hmm. My best friend Michelle, it's her favorite band, so I used to always sing Pulling Muscles from Michelle instead of Pulling Muscles from a Shell. Everybody sing that song in a Shell. Nice. Jules Holland. So now, of course, the host of the Jules Holland Show, Jules Holland Hoot Nanny. Incredible musician. He did a he likes the boogie woogie. show documentary on... Work. In every genre. His father-in-law, Rory Mc... Yep. Oh. <clears throat> you have to say it quickly. McEwen. McEwen. McEwen, probably. M-C-E-W-E-N. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So, his father-in-law... It's a summary from the BBC. Jules Holland tells the remarkable story of Rory McEwen folk singer, blues guitarist, early TV presenter, and artist. Rory was Jules' father-in-law, but the two men never met. He died in 1982, age 50. Born into an aristocratic family in Scotland, Rory became a musician touring the USA in the 1950s. But what captured my attention about him is that he was also an artist, and he drew pictures of flowers when they were a little bit on their way out, a little bit 
brown around the edges, just starting to lose their luster, starting to die, basically. I've always felt very yeah. sad about cut flowers because, of course, they're very... I, I, I don't like having them in my house because you cut them and then you just... You admire them while they die because you've cut them from their life source. Right. Hmm. I, have a, I have a problem with cut flowers in that regard. I love silk flowers yeah. um, because they don't die. <laughs> But they are anyway. Beth, say, God, get it together. Living to begin with. No, um, no, I think this this is a this is great. And this all means something. So it says here, Jules Holland on Rory McEwen in this BBC radio program. Jules Holland's Jules Holland will talk about Rory McEwen, the father-in-law he never knew. Although I know about Rory McEwen for his extraordinary botanical artistry skills, Rory was also quite a musician. With his brother Alec, Rory. McEwen was a powerful voice in the folk music revival of the late 50s and early 60s. Apparently, he was the host of the network TV music show Hullabaloo, a frequent performer on Tonight with Cliff Michael Moore, and a prolific recording artist. He introduced George Harrison to Ravi Shankar. Well, that was probably not a, not a great thing that he nice. did. Mm-mm. And uh, me no likey, and was the catalyst for and hub of <laughs> much of what came to be known as swinging London. I mean, his, I can't, I couldn't, I thought maybe there would be some prints or some reproductions or some lithographs of his yep. work. I would love to have some of his, some of his, um, his um, botanical artistry, his botanical paintings in my house but i can't find them so then who is his uh daughter or son or whomever is uh, married to jules well you know that he married a woman no i, I didn't know that but so i'm asking who that is michael you do know who that I is don't see know. this is him doing it, his it, little it, thing no, again you think that jules holland is gay you know that I he's no married to a woman jules i have no i hadn't thought about whether jules holland is gay michael doesn't mean what he's saying right now and besides he wouldn't have to marry a fellow just because he's gay anyway go ahead I have to look. I have to find out who. Oh what, yes, the name you, of his you wife act is. like you know. It's like, wait, you know who he's married to? I don't know who he's married to. One of his daughters married Jules Holland after her father's death. Okay, okay he was so only fifty when he died. Yeah. So maybe he also was a bit of an old soul and appreciated these flowers when maybe they. He also painted flowers when they were at their peak, but I, I don't. Anyway, well, it just it touched question, me. Question though, if, if he's uh, fifty, and how old is his daughter when she marries Jules? Well, he was long passed away. I think after, I don't know. Maybe they met each other in the twenties or something. You know, oh, well, right, right, right. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> hmm. Nice. Yes. Uh. Okay, I th- I think that you know the the idea of um, representing uh, flowers or you know some sort of living thing when it's not necessarily at its yeah prime. That's the, the, well, people love the you know whatever you go to the um, uh, photo exhibition. People always like the portraits with the you know old older person it's like oh you know they've earned those lines or whatever mm. there's a story there you know yeah. people kind of like that stuff right yeah but it's a picture of a baby or something it's like oh the kid doesn't fucking know anything it's like it hasn't lived anything What's oh the... cute babies no it's fine I, I like the kids too but i'm just saying that the the uh 
the interesting stories and certainly when we're experiencing art a lot of it is what we're imposing on the art itself it's it's not really there right but we want mm -hmm. to uh, create the story around it or we want to imagine what that person's life might have been like yeah. or what that flower's life might have been like and it's just it's a richer it's a more in-depth life in a way that's that's put some years on it children's clothing is costume because of course they don't get to pick out their clothes and i think that's when babies are at their cutest it's not that much different than when <sighs> right. you put a shih tzu in uh you know <laughs> a, Yo a yoda costume or a funny little costume where he's got arms and he's a pirate and he's got like a s or he's chucky and he's oh, got the, like a the, the, the chucky hand. uh dog costume is very popular yeah but it really gets me the photographs of a little kid in their little you know their foulies and their little yellow rain jackets and their little rain hat and they're like you know have their cute little index finger and they're touching a mud puddle or something well i think one of so the cute. reasons they have kids is definitely for the halloween costumes yeah well but just that, uh, their clothing well, is costume well, because they yeah. don't get to pick out their clothing but they're also awesome i mean i yeah. wish it were acceptable for adults to wear onesies it's a great idea one time we were sitting at the airport gate waiting to board our flight and the flight was delayed by about an hour and I noticed that all the adults were so bored, exasperated. We pull out our phones or our books and we're reading whatever, scrolling, doing nothing. And there were some little kids who didn't know each other, just with families waiting to board this flight. And at our gate were these sort of like auditorium steps where you could sit on them. And all the little kids just very naturally, very organically, got together and they started inventing games and mm. the game that they were all playing was that they were jumping on each other's shadows and right. and they were entertaining themselves and i thought when did we lose that yeah. why don't the adults when did we lose that because that's so sad then I started an experiment, and I've only done it twice, where I was either waiting to board a flight. There was some downtime. And one time I went to, oh, it was like the airport Chili's or something, but I sat at the bar, and I got my, I would have done this anyway. So I, the first thing mm -hmm. I did was like, I've got two hours. So I sat at that bar, ordered myself a little salad and a Diet Coke or something. And I looked around, and everyone at the bar and sitting around were staring at their phones yeah no one was talking to anyone else even people that were there together right. <clears throat> so i i'm not this kind of person that does like you know social experiments but i thought beth just just have some bravery and just once do this and i looked to the person to my left and i looked to the person to my right and i said would you guys like to have a conversation with me <laughs> rather really? than just staring at our phones yes and they were like oh this is a little weird and they're looking around like is this person crazy <laughs> we are we being security. filmed or we could call security and they were reluctant but they said okay and the woman to my right was boring conversation it wasn't <laughs> the woman to my right was a real estate agent who lives somewhere in florida mm -hmm. The guy to my right was some, I don't remember exactly what he did, but he was an IT techie guy for a construction company. And so there was just enough of a thread there, the construction guy and the real estate lady, that we found something to talk about after we got through 
um, you know, where are you from? Yeah. What are you doing? Where are you going? And it was, yeah. Say, uh, sorry if I missed it, but mm-hmm. what what airport was it in? I think um, I think it was O'Hare. Okay, and it's a, were these is it a domestic flight or? In, I think oh, it you, was you're not actually. No, yeah, I think it yeah. was a domestic flight. Okay, so so the, these are Americans you're talking to. Okay, so naturally you, you're going to open with the what do you do sort of. Thing, well, I right? think I would have done that anyway. Yeah, but yeah, I think I I was it was a domestic flight somewhere in the U.S. I was going from okay. somewhere. So. Perfectly lovely conversation. The time flew by. We all exchanged business cards knowing we'd never hear from each other again. And it was enriching and it was pleasant. And I still I remember it. and I can tell the story in a way that you don't remember looking down at your phone. (laughs) No. (laughs) So then I had to go to my gate. This is all on the same day. Now the flight is delayed or I'd gotten to the gate kind of early. Yeah. Still had some more time to kill. So there's these little tables now at airports where you can charge your phone. So I was at this table, standing table, tall boy table, and there was this young man across from me. And I wasn't going to do it again because I was feeling like really self-conscious. But he said, oh, I've forgotten my charger. Can I borrow yours? I said, sure. Or maybe it was probably the other way around. Mm -hmm. Knowing me, I probably forgot my charger. (laughs) That's almost certainly the way that it happened. That's your story. You can tell it how you want. He said, sure. So I said, hey, what are you doing? Where are you going? So he was an architecture student, very sweet, first year architecture student. So he's full of knowledge that he's so proud of Mm -hmm. and wants to share. And I was like, oh, I heard that architecture is one of the hardest disciplines, one of the hardest degrees you can get. It's really difficult. He's like, yeah, because there's, you know, you have to do your math and geography and engineering and all in the creative piece of it. And so I said, you know, there's a question I've always wanted to ask architects. And here it is. Why is it? that any building that was built before, say, I don't know, 1850 in Europe Mm -hmm. is so beautiful. Like, look at Paris. Look at any city in in Europe or any ancient architecture. It is beautiful and jaw-dropping, and people travel all over the world to see this architecture. And it lasts for hundreds hundreds of years. Why don't we build buildings like that anymore? Why do we build just cereal boxes made out of steel and glass? And he said, and I could tell he got this out of a book, (laughs) but he said, we used to build buildings to exalt God, whatever God may be. Now we build buildings to exalt ourselves, commerce industry. And buildings were built back then because they were exalting God to last forever. Now buildings are built, the timestamp on them, that they're, they're built for planned obsolescence. Wow. Yeah. I never would have known that had I not talked to this kid. <laughs> you know? Do you uh, At my first, that? you know, huh? Do you believe that? Whether or not I believe it, it was interesting. And it was something to think about. Mm-hmm. And it was a perfectly great conversation with this kid. That's the point of it. Wasn't yep. what was said, but that something interesting and thought-provoking was said in the first place. Right. No, and I, I think that there's a great deal to that. I mean, certainly if you look at something like um, uh, cathedrals, uh, you know, back in the day, I know you don't like me to say that, uh, in Europe, for example, that, you know, there, there's no question that uh, the, the lead architects and engineers on those cathedral projects 
will not live <laughs> to yeah, see but it wasn't just places of your of, of worship leaders. you know the, well, the king could be god or the king might think of himself as god yeah, or no, but i'm just saying those extremely long-term uh projects undertakings mm-hmm. i'm not so sure that uh, modern society is well equipped uh to undertake those well even if today we were going the individual we were going to build a building as beautiful as any of the monument buildings in paris obviously we'd be able to do it much more quickly but we still don't because because buildings need to yeah buildings need to be high now they need to nobody builds a building that that isn't a skyscraper i guess well i mean you still have you know form and function and that that sort of thing i I, you know you're obviously not going to build i'll take a ridiculous example but you know you're not going to build multi-story aircraft hangars Mm -hmm. um but uh yeah i I would think in population centers there has to be a general trend toward building up as opposed to to building out i mean real estate's just too precious um that woman who was an art student in new york uh, created a fake persona. I think of. I think she might be Hungarian or Bulgarian. Let's say Hungarian. So she has a Hungarian accent, mm-hmm. and she created this fake persona of being the daughter of an oligarchy, and was looking for an apartment in one of those enormous sky rises on the south side of uh, Central Park, mm-hmm. and she wanted to see if she could pull it off. And she was able to pull it off. So the more secretive or shadowy her profile was, the more credibility she seemed to mm-hmm. uh, garner from these real estate agents. And she borrowed or, borrowed or rented some clothes, like maybe the designer purse or the designer watch, but nothing too flashy, too showy. You know, it's not that you know. Economy. So she got into... <laughs> She got into all of these high rises and was, try, you know, the, the real estate agents were so cheesy. They're like, this is the view of your dreams. Sure. Your father, your children will love, you, you know, having the pride of you having this, this apartment. She said, and she showed it with a hidden camera. All the apartments are exactly the same. The sake sort of <sighs> the same veneer of the white and gray Carrera marble. And the thing that she was able to reveal was that most of these apartments are empty because they're just places to, you know, stash some cash. They're just investments. In the meantime, while no one is living in these gaudy cookie cutter apartments that cost 20 million plus, they're creating these horrible shadows because they're so tall and no, and no doubt wind tunnels Mm. Um, over the park, over the streets. There's no life. There's no, you know, city life on the plinth level. It's a real tragedy. Now, what's not a tragedy is that a lot of these buildings are starting to leak. The plumbing's starting to fail. The architectural integrity is starting to crack, which is hilarious. But these people don't care. They're impervious. They're not even living there. Right. So there's some modern architecture for you. It's quite sinister, I think. It's just place to sock your cash away from the you know the tax man international tax man but of course not everyone uh does architecture that way but no yeah it's certainly uh but if that thought had occurred to me randomly 
why do why do we build buildings now differently than we did back then? I obviously I could have Googled it, and I probably could have found the same excerpt from the textbook that this kid learned it from. Mm-hmm. But ob- clearly, that wouldn't have been the same experience. The point of it was the conversation. Yep. The point of it was getting to meet this young man, you know, so excited about his studies and so happy that somebody asked him about his studies that he could share something he learned. Right. Right. I thought, you know what, I'm going to start doing that more often because I did that twice and I felt a bit cheesy doing it, but here I am telling the story and this happened years ago. You're going to talk to people. All right. Well, I do. think so. All right. <laughs> I advise against it, but, but no. It, yeah. I'm not like letting you, you them might, into our house or anything. Yeah. Oh. Okay. I guess even if you don't learn something, it, it could be an interesting uh Well, learning something isn't the point, Michael. The point is having an exchange, having eye contact. I know, but the exchange has to happen if there's information flowing in only one direction. But the information doesn't matter. Learning, that point isn't, you completely missed the point of my whole story. No, I I haven't missed a point of the story. I know what you're saying, but I would uh, want to engage in such activities uh, to actually, you know, if if there really is a dialogue, then th- there has to be two way yes. communication. Well, it's one so. way, a very inefficient way for Chat GP Meeks <coughs> to store some new data in his brain that he can recall. Oh, uh oh, no, no, Chat GP Meeks is starting to uh, <laughs> short circuit in his in his amazing. Did you see uh, Bezos just bought some AI? Okay, so here's here's another thing, guys. So if we're a billion or something, Michael says Bezos because he knows his name is Bezos and he knows that people mispronounce his name Bezos and he does that on purpose because he amuses himself by doing it. I amuse myself. I just think it's very important to say his name wrong. The very old principle of having power over something by naming it you know, you were going to invoke the name of a demon or something like that. You need the, the demon's true name or an angel or God or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a very old human concept. When you get people's names wrong, yes, it's a bit of a piss take and you are, you know, reducing their power uh, by doing that. Okay. So that's why it's, it's fun to say things like uh, Jeff Bezos. Um, and of course, you know, again, what's, what's wrong or right. Um, the British say, uh, Barack Obama, uh, he wouldn't call himself Barack, uh, but, but they do. Um, why do they do that? (laughs) That is not how the man's name is pronounced. And it's not like the name Barack is so common in the UK. (laughs) Nobody heard the name Barack until Barack Obama. Right. Why do they do that? Why do they say pasta instead of pasta? Why do they say guacamole instead of guacamole? Why? Guacamole. Um, yeah, well, that's, I, I, I guess one answer would be they sort of invented the language so they get to decide. But they didn't invent No, they, they, they didn't, the language uh, of, Barack Obama. Yeah, no, the, you know, is, yeah, I, I okay. So now, uh, two more things, and we're going to wrap this up. Yes. Um, we're going to go to my, Michael's favorite intellectual plane, which is the Michael's metaverse. Michael loves going meta. Did you listen to Starless, by the way? You're, no, you're going to appreciate this. I like my 
Um, yeah, it's two things. Ruckleberry's company. Right? One, let's just finish out the Bezos thread. I yes. think I've got this right. I will have to review this with Yvonne Diacher. Back, people's real name. She's on the podcast. I know. Back when the Dutch were being invaded by the French. Now, should I look this up really quickly? No one cares about this. I just want to make sure I don't have this totally wrong. Um, Doesn't matter. Your point may still stand. Um, regardless of the particular. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Dutch war also called the Franco-Dutch War, 1672 to 78, the second war of conquest by Louis XIV of France, who whose chief aim in the conflict was to establish French possession of the Spanish Netherlands after having forced the Dutch Republic, uh, Republic's acquiescence. The Third Anglo-Dutch War, 1672 to 74, formed part of this general war. Okay, so I think that this phenomenon, phenomenon no. happened during this period of time as an act of resistance the dutch changed their names to very embarrassing things like i don't know like poopschoenen william ballbag <laughs> yeah poopschoenen like you know poopy shoes or yeah <laughs> william william ballbag uh yeah. uh sock or you know um zur beer like you know sour beer or something like that yeah. So they would force the French to have to say their names, probably not speaking the language, and just hearing a French person say, oh, monsieur, you know, uh, poops, schoene, which, which was hilarious to yeah. them. And some of those names still exist. Yeah. Um, so I, I really thought that was pretty amusing, even though now it's sort of reversed because it's like, well, the Dutch all know the joke, but they're still named sour beer. So who's the joke on now? Right. Well, you know, the Dutch take a very, very, very long time to decide things. It took them 400 years to decide and debate over what their flag was going to be. And all they ended up doing was taking the French flag and turning it yeah, um, 90 degrees. 90 rotation. degrees, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I'm sure that was a debate. Which, but was it 90 degrees to the left or 90 degrees to the say, right? Which way are you going to do it? Yeah. So that probably took another couple hundred years. Well, the Frenchies lead with blue, right? The blue is the leftmost. What's that? I said, egalite, fraternity, liberté. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we're going to go back to Michael's main pants. I posted this what? on LinkedIn. What the hell are my main pants? Your oh, main pants. My, my Home Depot pants. So the story goes like this. Hang in, hang in with us, people. Just it's almost over. Stuff that happened. The headline is a story of startup frugality. <laughs> Fans and followers of my co-founder, Michael, might recall several, several years ago when he announced he was going clothes shopping. The announcement shocked the world. He returned from his shopping spree, having procured a single white long sleeve T-shirt that cost seven dollars and ninety-seven cents. Euros. Euros. Yes. He, well, I'm saying this yeah, for gotcha. Gotcha. American dollars. Or you know, he bought it at Slichro, which is the Dutch version of Costco. His main pants, which he has worn to work every single day for probably the last three years, finally gave up the ghost. So, what actually happened? Did the zipper break, or did you just tear a hole in it? Doesn't matter. On those, uh, on your main pants. pants, yeah. You got me. Well, you the ones me. from Uniqlo, yeah. Oh, uh, Uniqlo. Excuse me. Yeah, sorry. I was thinking uh, Hudson's Bay. Uh, yes, the the Uniqlo pants. Yeah, the the zipper is, is problematic. Okay. 
Again, he informed me with no scarcity of gravitas that he must go clothes shopping once again. He returned already wearing his new main pants, a pair of black cargo pants purchased at Hornbach, which is the Dutch version of Home Depot. He paid $45 for them. It is going to take him a while to recover from his grief of having to shell out this exorbitant amount of money for his pants. Our family appreciates that you respect our privacy as we get through this difficult time. Okay, so, you know, icons follow, you know, smiley face, happy face, laughy face, thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up. Sorry, I just need to point out really quickly, mm. uh, I am not uh, cheap. It's just that I like value for money. You like value for I, money. I certainly don't mind paying even um, several hundred uh, euro for a pair of pants if I thought they were truly worth that. And also, I am very suspicious of uh, an article of clothing that's too inexpensive. And this goes to your point about uh, Fast know, whatever, Pakistan. Or, mm. uh, so I, I do try and avoid that. Uh, these were, in fact, uh, made in the EU. Right. So, so we're talking about Meta here. <clears throat> yes. So all the little approval icons come in. But only two of them are the support icons, like supporting us at this difficult time. Mm -hmm. One is from our dear friend and mentor, Richard Cohn, who's British. And the other one is from a friend of mine, Kat Moy, who's Australian. Real names. Okay, yeah. So what I love about these two is, of course, only a British person and an Australian person would keep the joke going with a support icon. Um, I think if a Dutch person would choose the support icon, they really thought that you were actually grieving or would be making fun of you f- yeah. that we were grieving and not and really understanding. Wh- what is the uh, support uh, emoticon? It's a hand held out with a little heart on top of it as if I'm offering you a heart. Hand held out with a heart. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the, the clasp hands, is that a prayer thing? Yes, the, I think the, that's like namaste, like together. thank you, grateful, yes. I'm oh. glad that you even know that, that, that that's an icon. I've seen people do that, and I think it's inappropriate. It's just, it is inappropriate, but, but people do it like, oh, thank yeah. you, you know. So, um, and, and what are you supposed to put when somebody says, oh, you know, my uh, cat of 10 years or 15 years dies? You, you might, can't do the thumbs up, No, right? but you might choose a sad face with a single tear. Sad face with single, only one tear? Yeah, because I think the one where you're like, you know, crying hysterically icon maybe that's a bit over the right. top and definitely not the clapping hands <laughs> <laughs> well it is a cat after all so oh, come on kitty all right everyone thanks for hanging all in all right there. thanks see you later uh, bye bye bye